Good morning. It's good to be here with you. We're doing a two-week mini-series. And as I said last week, I want to give a couple of little prefaces to today's message uh, to tell you why, first of all, why we're doing this. And and then secondly, uh, a single caveat this week. I gave a few last week that you may want to listen to on the podcast so you can know why we're doing this and why it's so important. Um, The first thing is, is why are we doing it? Well, since we planted the Rock Church seven, almost eight years ago, uh, we began without a specific model in place. So I didn't come here to plant this church, uh, or our family for that matter, and saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to do it like this church that we left, or this other church which we think is way better than the one we left, or whatever. We're going to go, and first of all, meet the people. Because <laughs> we didn't have a core group when we came here. We didn't know anyone for that matter, and we were going to wait for God to bring us some people. And he brought us a, a whole mix of different people from all different kinds of denominations, which when you think about it, is kind of crazy, because everybody's like, well... In our denomination, we do it this way and that. And so how do you, in the first six months to a year, get everybody on the same page? That was the exercise in the very beginning. And so every year, we've been doing this series kind of in different ways where I try to give you a bit of a recap as to who we are as a church. And so for rocksters, people have been with us from the beginning or for a while now. This is, this is old hat, per se, but it's a good reminder, right? And then the other reason why we do this is that we're, God is constantly blessing us, even though he's taking people away from us who we dearly love and, and, and sometimes without permission uh, to go to places and make Jesus known in other communities and towns, which is awesome. Uh, he also replaces. It's amazing. Every summer he does that. So for new people, this will help you understand who we are as a church. Um, and then thirdly, my, my hope, as I mentioned last week, is and, then, and, and I'm, I've been around a while. Uh, I've been a Christian since I was 23 years of age, um, coming out of Catholicism and being quite, frankly, lukewarm to God in, in every way. And, and uh, you know, the, the, the thing that I've seen in the past 30, 40 years, and it, it's not a generational thing. Millennials get blamed for this, but I'm a baby boomer. We're as guilty of this. So it's not a matter of age, but... It doesn't matter where you go. You don't have to go anywhere too long, read anything for too long, a period of time to hear people criticizing the church, cutting it down. These people hurt me, that situation. And listen, things bad do happen. But my hope is, as we go through these kind of series and we think about it, is that we remind ourselves this is Jesus' bride we're talking about. He died for his church. So my hope as we, we look at these things is not only that we learn as Christians to put away the Christianese so that we can better go into our culture and explain, why are we here? What are you doing here? What am I here for? Are we, are we going to church? No, we don't go to church at the Rock. We are the church. And so these, these are important things to us that we've repeated over the years. And so if you're new here, this is new language for you. We're not, we're not odd. We're not unorthodox. We're very foundational biblically. But we're trying to learn how to be the church in the way that Jesus had in mind. So one of the caveats that I put out last week, which is important, I'll just repeat this one for this week, was this. If you honestly read the New Testament, as I have from beginning to end, see, I came out of Catholicism, and and when I became a a Christian, a Protestant, for the first time, I'm going into churches, and there's these guys standing up without collars on, and I'm wondering, well, what kind of education do these guys have? Right? And they're opening the Bible. And so there were two things that were really important for me when I was 23 years of age. One was the Word of God. Like, like I'd never heard it read and explained in my Catholicism days. But secondly is, okay, if there's no Pope and there are no cardinals and no bishops, what's going on here? <laughs> like, how is this structured? How is this supposed to work? So ecclesia, the Greek word for church that Jesus uses, 
uh, was really important to me. How does this all work? And so one of the things I've noticed, if you read the New Testament from the beginning, Matthew to Revelation, over and over and over again, here's the caveat that I put out to you today. The New Testament is remarkably silent on how to do church. It's remarkable. <laughs> there, there are no places in there that will say, well, you know, the Baptists have got it right, or the MBs, or... Like, there's no order of service. There's nothing about children's ministries. There's nothing about, you know, how many songs we should sing and, and whether it's with instruments or not. There's nothing really in there that is prescriptive. Now, that's an important word. There's a lot of descriptive stuff. Not a lot. There's some descriptive stuff. For example, as I said last week, Paul writing to, to the Roman church, the church in Rome, and he says, uh, by the way, say hello to Aquila and Priscilla and the church in their home." Right, so people hear, hear that and they go, well, th there you go, house churches, that's what we should be doing. What are we doing here? No, it should be in the homes. And people say that. And you know what? It's okay. <laughs> we started the Rock Church in our home. And thankfully, we outgrew it. Why did they gather in homes in the New Testament? Well, for starters, that's <laughs> what we did, that's what they did. But the primary reason why they gathered in homes in the New Testament is the same reason why they do in China today. It's called persecution. They were actually afraid for their lives. Because you see, they killed Jesus, right? And it was kind of close to that time. So there really are no prescriptives. There are descriptives. So what do we do? How do we gather? So that's why we're doing this series. One of the reasons. Last week, we asked the question, why? Why is there something called church? Was it the Pope's idea? Constantine? I mean, who came up with this, right? Uh, what we discovered last week is the why is very simple. The why is it was Jesus' idea. It was Jesus' idea, purely his idea. Nobody else, no man came up with this. Nobody else dreamt it up. It was Jesus' idea. And you know, last week I showed you, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus, after P P Peter declaring that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, Jesus said these words. He said, and I tell you, Peter, upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia, my church. Now, that word has been turned into things that it's, it's kind of sad. And last week, we really dug into it. You might want to listen to the podcast from last week to learn more about it. But basically, when the disciples heard Jesus say that word, they didn't hear a building place or an event, per se. They didn't hear that because that word in that day would actually be something that you might see on a billboard or a poster that would say, Ecclesia, so-and-so at the amphitheater speaking on magistrate, new laws, new orders coming down. What ecclesia meant was uh, people called out of their homes to a gathering. That's literally what it meant. So when the disciples heard that, they didn't think, oh, good, Jesus is going to build a new temple. It's not what they thought. They were like, huh, he's calling people to gather to himself. So that is the why. And one of the things I also highlighted last week, which was really important for us to think about, especially today, for this message, is that we sometimes confuse kingdom and church. You hardly hear anybody in the church today preaching about the kingdom. Right? But the reality is what Jesus came to establish, he said in Matthew chapter 4, repent for my ecclesia is at hand? No. He said repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so he came to establish his kingdom. And so what we learned, very important, that we need to put in the back of our minds for this week is this. The church is a vehicle. It's not the goal. The church is Jesus' vehicle, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to expand the kingdom of God in this world. 
Okay, that, that changes things a little bit, doesn't it? It certainly changed our attitude towards how we were going to do this and why we're going to do this. And so secondly, last week we asked the question, what? What is the church? Well, you know, each one of these, by the way, could be like a three, four-week series, couldn't they? Uh, but last week we defined it this way. The what of the church is this. It is Jesus' plan A for the redemption and restoration of this world. It's not politics. It's not getting the good old boy into the President of the United States office or into the Prime Minister's office in Canada and woohoo, the kingdom will be expanded. No. No, Christians have been trying that for centuries with great failure. It's the church. It's his plan A. One of the other things we also learned last week, we looked at Acts 2.42, how they started, right? The Holy Spirit falls upon the disciples. They preach the gospel. Peter preaches it. They're cut to the heart. 3,000 are saved, brought into the ecclesia. The church starts, and what do they do? First thing they do is they gather on a Sunday under the apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread, the prayers, and the fellowship. The pattern has started. And they gathered on that first day throughout the New Testament doing the exact same thing. We also looked at Ephesians 4, and we'll look at one part of that today. And it, it showed us in verses 11 to 16 that Jesus gives these gifted people to the church, apostles, prophets, uh, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping and building up of the church. And we saw that there was another interesting component to what the church is supposed to be. It's an incubator. It's a place where we pop out baby disciples and we grow them up. It's supposed to be a disciple-making organism. Is this the church that you grew up understanding you were being called to? I don't know what you, because it wasn't the one that I was. So it's very different when we look at these things. So today, two questions that we'll answer, hopefully, a little bit. The first one is the who. Who is the church? Who is the church? Who makes up the church? And secondly, where? Where is the church? Or where should it be anyway? So first, uh, we'll look at the who. Uh, one of my favorite uh, pastors and writers and authors, he's part of our church planning network in Canada. He's actually on the executive uh, board. Uh, his name is Jeff Vanderstelt. Um, planted a church in Tacoma, Washington called Soma, which is the Greek word for body. He likes single words because his new church now in Bellevue, Washington is called Doxa. He, uh, he has coined a beautiful phrase about who we are as the church, who the church is. He actually says this. He says, the mistake we make was we always ask the question, what is church? Well, we did that last week, so I've obviously made a mistake to go there first, but, and I agree with him. His point is we should be asking the question, who? And I agree for this reason. It's because, again, the church is not a building place or an event. It's us. His definition is this. The church is the regenerate people of God, saved by the power of God for the purposes of God. And so I'm highlighting it simply as this, the called, chosen, and regenerated people of God. That's who is the church in a nutshell. And so we'll unpack that a little bit. But he goes on to say this, and here's his quote, by the way, at the same time. He goes on to say, this means we don't stop being the church when we walk out of the gatherings doors on Sunday. Instead, everything we do, we do as the blood-bought body of Christ in this world today. Everything we do. And we do it for his name and fame everywhere. In other words, we are not the church when we gather, or solely when we gather. We are the church all the time, 24-7, 
wherever you go, which is why I've said repeatedly over the years, guys, we can't come to church, check the box, and expect we're good with God. <laughs> That's not being a Christian. It's not being the church either. 1 Peter 2.9 gives us a, an incredible definition. I don't know if many of you, if you've gone to this and you, you know, we read it, we read verses like this and we go, oh, that's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. But guys, when, I want to put it on screen for you and I'm going to look at it with you briefly, but this is who you are. We just sang the song, Good, Good Father. It's who you are, it's who we are, and we're loved by him. That's who I am, it's who I am. Hey, here's who you are. You, we should be able to say this. 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, I read passages like this, or at least I have in the past, and I'm going, well, Okay, I get the chosen part, right? I didn't choose Jesus. Some of us believe, you know, like, oh, I prayed a prayer and I, I gave my life to Jesus. That's not in the Bible. Sorry to tell you that. That language is not in the Bible. Um, he chooses you. He chooses me. And he's chosen us to, be, to become part of, look at this, a race. Now, we think about that in our world today, and oh, that's, a, that's a contentious thing. But as we also know from Revelation, he's talking about every nation, tongue, and tribe. This is a new race. This is an inclusive race of all races. And we're chosen individually to be part of it. And then we're a royal priesthood? Wow. Wow. Do you see yourself that way? When you walk around Squamish and, and, and you see, or, or you just read the newspaper, watch the news, and you see the calamities going on in your world, and, and, and you think, like, how can I make a difference? Well, well certainly, if, if we're shriveled up and we're thinking, I'm nothing, you know, well, we are nothing without the power of the Holy Spirit in us, but Christian, Christian, this is our identity. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. This is what we're being called to. Peter then, I love this, he just simplifies these guys, guys. We're a people. We're a people. But we're supposed to be a very special people. And we are a people who have been called out for two things, and it's beautiful, to be his possession, to be possessed by Jesus Christ. And then secondly, all of that is done. Now think of this. All that Jesus did on the cross in your place for your sin and for my sin was so that he could give this to you this identity to you and to me so that we could actually walk out of here with our chests up and our chins out, not arrogantly, humbly, but proudly being the people we're called to be. And yet, look at this. It's always for a purpose, <laughs> which is why Jeff Vanderstel put it that way. It's for the purposes of God that we've been made into this or we're being formed into this. And the purpose is to go and proclaim that's what I'm doing here this morning. I'm proclaiming the Word of God. That's my call to do this within our church, but it's all of our call to do this in this world today, to proclaim the excellencies, to proclaim, this is what Jesus did for me. He took Glenn, this, this ridiculous guy who was inhaling substances, and, and I won't get into all of it this morning. Some of you know my testimony, and, and he, he cleaned me up in a miraculous way. And I'm certainly not perfect here today standing before you, but he's still working on me. And I'm so, so grateful for that. And I'm sure many of you are as well. 
And so the deal is, is that what he's done is it's, it's always with Jesus, it's about this. Mission, <laughs> right? We're a family of missionary servants. That's one of our identities here at The Rock. We're, we're being sent in the power of the Holy Spirit by Jesus as missionaries into this world. And so there's always a purpose behind everything he does. We're sent ones. So look, I think we have a little bit of a biblical level there of, of who we are as the church. And one other thing I'll just throw into that that I, I just thought of now, maybe it's important, I don't know. But that, that is this. You know, there are people who, again, uh, within denominations or when, when we start to get a little bit too navel-gazing, too inward-focused, people are like, well, you know, I don't know if that person should be taking communion or if that person's... A... I have no idea who in this room today is a Christian. I have no idea in this room who today is actually saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. My hope is everyone. My hope is to treat everyone that way, that they are or that they will be. And so who are we? Who are the church? They are the regenerated ones, the chosen ones. That's a question as we go to communion this morning you might want to pray about and focus on. So let me give you a little bit of an illustration here to maybe bring this down to the street level for a second. If you, if you were to meet someone for the first time, let's say you're at a, at a business meeting or at the coffee shop or at a party some night, and, and you first meet somebody, what's, what, what typically there are two questions that you ask them or they ask you, right? It's usually, it's the, the where and the what, right? Where are you from? What do you do? Isn't that, isn't that odd that we do that when, when really the objective is when I meet somebody, I would, I would hope, or when you meet somebody new and, and someone meets me, I would hope they, they want to know me. <laughs> I, would, I would hope and, and that they want to know who I am. But it's funny, in, in, in public, in our normal everyday lives, we don't do that. We, we, ask, we, we think, we, oh, that's how we're going to get to know somebody is to find out what they do. So what do you do? Well, I'm a doctor, lawyer, dentist, carpenter, whatever, or I'm a pastor or whatever. You know, and, and that, that's, that's it. That's how we determine and find out how, who that person is. Now imagine, imagine, after you've just heard this message today, right? the next time someone asks you that question, they say, well, uh, what do you do? Or actually, you know what? I, I don't want to be superfluous here. I don't want to be you know, just on, on the surface. i got a better question for you. Why don't you tell me who you are? <laughs> how would you answer that? after what you just heard, though, right? Because I've actually tried flipping that around sometimes when people ask me what I do, and I've actually said, well, let me tell you who I am. I'm a disciple of Jesus Christ. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. He's the real deal. It's usually a conversation stopper, (laughs) okay? Not all the time. Not all the time. But here's my point. We bring that into the church, okay? We do all the time. One good example of that is it happens to me all the time uh, when people meet me and, and they ask me, what do you do? You know, I go, well, okay, I'm a pastor. Nice talking to you, right? No, the, the, after that, though, they're usually going to ask me this question. Oh, what denomination are you? Right? That's funny. The people who, who don't go to church, but, but, but they'll ask that. They'll say, what denomination are you? Because, they, they, see, they got these ideas about church. And you know why they have these ideas about church? Us. <laughs> It's our fault, right? So they have these compartments. Now, most of you know that I like to joke, you know, and I, I often use the, the phrase, well, we're MB, which stands for mostly Baptist, right? Always gets a giggle. Not today, okay. Um, but the reason why I do that is not to get a giggle. It's because most people, if I say Mennonite brethren, that's a longer explanation, right? Do you have buggies and whips? No, we, we don't. Um, 
But people try to compartmentalize us, and there's all these different denominations, and people have these ideas, and I, don't, I actually don't like it when people ask me that because then they go, oh, okay, now I know what kind of Christian you are, right? So it's even happening in the church that we do this, that we identify ourselves that way, and it's a problem. I, I want to suggest to you that it's actually um, been a detriment, this denominational thing, to the gospel, the spread of the gospel in North America over the past 40 to 50 years. Now, I don't say that because I don't love our denomination. I do. I don't say that because we don't respect other denominations. We do. There are a lot of good things that come out of our denominations, but it's what we, as the church, have turned them into. It's the way we do church. I identify with this. We were on our vacation this summer. We stayed at a beautiful B&B uh, near Peggy's Cove, and there was a lovely couple there, Len and Marilyn, a uh, fantastic couple, loved them. Uh, they found out after a few days, because he was Googling me, what I do, right? And he goes, oh, so uh, over coffee one morning, you're a pastor. And I said, I am. And he goes, I'm an Anglican. Right? If you were to meet any of my cousins in Cape Britain, they go, I'm Catholic. As soon as you bring up, hey, do you want to talk about God? I'm Catholic. <laughs> Shut down the door, no conversation, because I just said what I am, right? This is what we do. We self-identify by denominations and things like this, and I'm going to suggest to you it's not good. It's not uh, healthy for the church. In fact, I'm going to suggest to you, and this might uh, make some of you very uncomfortable, but I'm going to suggest to you that over the next 5, 10, 15 years, um, many denominations are going to wither up and die. Many already have. They're functionally dead because of their theology. They've kind of walked away from the Bible and what the Bible teaches. And so functionally, they're not really a church anymore, not of Jesus Christ and of his word. There's a, a, a leader, a podcaster, author, pastor that many church planters and leaders that I know follow. His name is Kerry Neewolf. Uh, interesting last name. I can barely pronounce it. But Kerry's a great guy. He's from Barrie, Ontario, good preacher, great guy, and he writes amazing leadership um, blog posts and, uh, and podcasts. Uh, he wrote one just in the last two weeks, and it's called Five Predictions, Five Predictions of the Future in the Next 10 to 15 Years. His number one prediction, churches that love their model more than the mission will die. He goes on to say, that said, many individual congregations and some entire denominations won't make it either. The difference will be between those who cling to the mission and those who cling to the model. He then gives a few examples of models and mission. He says, look, we all know that, that travel is the mission, right? I want to travel. Well, how you get there is, well, in the, in the past, buggies and whips, right? And then cars, planes, trains, automobiles, jets, right? Those are the vehicles that get us to fulfill the mission, which is travel, he also says this, churches need to stay focused on the mission. And his definition of the mission is leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus and be exceptionally innovative in our models. So let me put it to you this way. This is from Glenn. If you're looking to find confidence in your model, the way you did church where you used to go or the way that this denomination does church, let me say this rather boldly. Your model's going to let you down. They always do. 
They always do. Every model does. Every denomination in Canada today, including our own, is going through incredible struggles trying to deal with the cultural pressure about what the Word of God says. Most of them are going to fall away, guys. Most of them are going to fall away. Your confidence, my confidence, needs to be founded in the mission. Now, I think most of you probably expect me to say founded in Jesus. I did just say that. So here's another little mind bender from, for you from the mind of Glenn, and it is this. People often say this. The church has a mission. The mission of the church is this. It's the wrong way around. The mission has a church. Jesus is the sent one from God. He is the prototypical missionary. He came and he sends us. The mission has a church. So these are important little parameters I'm giving out to you about who we are as the church. We are affiliated with the Mennonite Brethren denomination. I love them, but we gather differently than many, many, many Mennonite Brethren churches. Not that they're wrong. We just followed the scripture and we've laid it out here. So that brings us to number two, which is the where. Where is the church? Hopefully I've got it. Yes. Where is the church? Well, here's an interesting answer for you. It's supposed to be everywhere. (laughs) It's supposed to be everywhere, expressed through gatherings, local gatherings of God's chosen people on mission to make disciples. And so this is the chance where I'm going to get to actually unravel for you how we ended up doing church, per se, being the church here in Squamish, and show you where we gather as the church and and live out the mission that Jesus has given to us. Uh, We started with everything you've heard so far uh, me speak about these past two weeks. We concluded that, yes, the New Testament is remarkably silent on model or on prescriptives, on how, but there are a few key obvious things that we did, that they did, and they resulted in the actual kingdom coming forth. And so Jesus said these words to his disciples, which was one of the most telling things. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, just before he ascended and left them, them to go build his church in the power of the Holy Spirit, he said this, but you will receive power When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So this was the geographical, right? He he first gave them the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Go into all the nations making disciples. And then he gave them the the direction. Start in Jerusalem first of all. Plant churches there. This is your hometown. This is where the temple is built. Do it here and then go from there. And so they did. They did it. They actually did it exactly as Jesus asked them to do right here in this verse. They began in their own backyard witnessing uh, to people. People uh, got saved. People got baptized in fountains, 3,000 that first day, all over Jerusalem. They planted churches. The churches started to grow as people were called out of the dominion and kingdom of darkness and into his marvelous light. It was awesome to see what was happening in those days. That we could see that kind of, that kind of you know, resurgence in our, in our world today would be incredible. So people got saved, and once they had established these healthy churches, they set out to do what? Expand the kingdom. Because that's what the geographical commission was about. Expand my kingdom, guys. How? Through the vehicle called the church. Do exactly what I did. Call people to follow you as you follow me. 
call people to follow you. So every church was planted. They, they, for the next 20 years, they went out, and you know what they did? They literally, in their minds anyway, went to the ends of the earth, as they knew in that day. They did. They planted churches everywhere. It was an amazing 20 years of doing that. Now, every church that was planted, from what we can tell, if you read the New Testament carefully, continued to model basically two principles. And the two principles were this, gathering and scattering. It was basically those two principles. Gather and scatter is what they would do. They would gather on the first day of the week, and they would practice Acts 2.42. You all know it, right? The Apostles' Doctrine, Breaking Your Bread, Fellowship in the Prayers. They would do that. And then in each other's homes throughout the week to disciple each other in God's Word, which if you read Acts 2.43 to 47, that's what it shows. And then if you read in Acts 5, 6, and 7, they're doing the same thing. And then they would also scatter into the marketplace to proclaim the gospel. And they'd invite more people to the gathering on Sunday to follow them as they follow Jesus, and then to their homes throughout the week so they could teach them more, you know, which is what the Great Commission tells us to do, teach them everything that I've commanded you to do, you teach it to them. And so remember this also, remember what we saw last week from Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. I won't read it all today, but here's the highlights. It's an amazing passage because it's speaking about as Jesus has ascended, and then Paul writes it and he says, And he himself, speaking of Jesus, gave gifts to the church. He gave apostles, small a apostles. It's very important. It's a small a. It's not new Peter, James, and Johns. It's small a apostles, people with an apostolic gifting to plant, to be missionaries, to be starters, entrepreneurs per se. Maybe not a great word in the church, but you know what I'm saying. That's that gifting. Prophets, small p again, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And their job description, which I take it being mine, is this one right here in 4.12. It says this. To equip the saints, you, saints in Christ, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the work of ministry, we're all in ministry. We're all in ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So the way that they gathered on the first day of the church in Acts 2.42 featured teaching the apostles' doctrine. So that's why we're doing this. We're here listening to the apostles' doctrine. This is not Glenn's good advice. This is good news. This is the word of God. That's what we're here doing. We're practicing that. We're, We're doing that with our children. That's so important, guys. I can't stress enough. And you know what? We're not only doing it to be a baby. We're not doing it. Let me be clear here. To be a babysitting service for you. We're not doing it for that reason. We're doing it because they need it, and we should teach our children too, but we're also trying to model that for you. This is what you should be doing in your home with your kids. Like, really. Not Veggie Tales on the TV, you know, right now media. Woo! No, opening the Bible and teaching them. Mom and Dad, do that. So we're modeling that here today. So look, here Paul tells them that Jesus gave these gifted people to the church to equip them by teaching them, increasing their knowledge. So here's the application of this. As pastors, elders, and early members, our mandate then of this church was very simple. It was very simple. Call people to follow Jesus, just like he did when he called his disciples to follow him, and then teach them everything that he commands us to teach them. The question was then and is now, with all that in mind, how do we best do that? How do we best do that as the rock church? 
this unique church that God has called to be this, this other expression in this community of a local church. How do we do that? Well, we, we decided as elders and pastors and members, the core group that was with us from the beginning, many here still with us today, some leaving, and, and we decided that we would call you to three things. Faithfully attend Sunday gathering. Faithfully attend the Sunday gathering. Now I know. We need to take vacations. We need snow days. We, we know that. Okay, it's all right. But faithfulness to the gatherings of the church. Not checking a box, but to the gatherings. Secondly, faithfully attend a missional community group throughout the week. And thirdly, faithfully give and serve. Everybody. Now, can you imagine a church where everybody was doing all those things? That's our dream. <laughs> and it's not stopped. It's not stopped at all. So here, let me show you four ways that we decided to be the where as the church in Squamish. That's what I'm going to close with for you today. Number one is this. The first where, well, I've already mentioned it. Sunday gatherings, right? The first where for us was to gather here on Sunday. We gather on Sundays here at Eagle Eye because that's what the church did. Throughout the book of Acts and the rest of the New Testament times, we, we, we follow the model that the early church followed in Acts 2.42. We do these things that I've mentioned. We, we break bread. And by the way, the breaking of bread that we do here today is not what some people claim is the same that you do when you get people over for dinner and you break bread in your homes. Some people say that, right? And they say, well, you see, you don't really need to attend church on Sunday. You can break bread anywhere. You can in our missional community group, sometimes we actually have a communion service. We, 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 we break bread in the way that we give thanks for Jesus' body and his blood that was shed for us. It's not like giving thanks for the amazing barbecue that we're having, right? It's a different thing altogether. In fact, when, when Paul had to write to the church in Corinth to correct them about what they were doing on Sunday when they gathered as the church, he made it really specific that he was talking about the breaking of bread that you do when you gather together on the first day of the week because he said this in 1 Corinthians 11.34. If anyone is hungry, some of them were showing up and they were like, yeah, there's like 20 loaves of bread over there. Like, I'm just going to grab a big cup of wine and start eating some bread. Like, anybody got any butter, right? Or any hummus? I'll put some hummus on it and it'll be awesome. People were doing that. They were turning it into a big party, not into what it was supposed to be. And Paul goes on to say, let them eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. That whole passage, uh, chapter 11, is, uh, 1 Corinthians is amazing about the Lord's Supper, about the gathering of the church. It's beautiful. Read it. It also says in there that one of the reasons why we're doing this here on Sunday is as a witness. It's as a witness till he comes again to the world that we are faithful to gather in Jesus' name as the church here on Sundays. Number two, um, where? In homes. (laughs) Yeah, we we gather in homes throughout the week in something we call missional, missional community groups. Why do we do that? Well, again, we're doing the Apostles' Doctrine, Breaking Bread and Things here on the gathering here, and then throughout the week, we're, we're following through on Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. We go deeper in God's work. We disciple one another. We equip one another. We challenge one another. We hold each other accountable. We pray for one another. We eat dinner together. Why? Because we're trying to model functional family. It's not quite there yet, but we're getting there. Amen? <laughs> we're working on it. But that's what we do as a church. So we gather where? Here on Sundays. 
We gather as a church throughout the week, too, so we do do home churches per se, but for a different reason, and, 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 and it's so that we can be on mission. And listen, this is the beautiful thing. We call them missional community groups because, yeah, we want to get together and be, go deeper in God's Word and become bolder and stronger Christians, but we also want to be missional. We want to be on mission. In the last three or four years, I am so proud of our church that the core group of our church has gotten this. Right? So we gather throughout the week, and we, what do we do? We pray as groups. What are we going to do to go and proclaim in Squamish and to the ends of the earth? How are we going to do that? Well, some of our missional community groups have headed up Hilltop House, which we're doing today. You know? Others have done community Christmas care. Others have done you know, Syrian refugee help. Others have done a whole host of different things by scattering into this community, helping in young life, serving in young life, leading young life, and even in the last two years, going to Mexico. One small group has led that out, and others have joined into that and gone as well, and we're going with 30 people from the sea to sky this October to build two schools this time in Mexico in one week. Amen? It's not quite the ends of the earth. It's Mexico. It's pretty, it, it, but that's where we're doing church. We're being the church. Number three, this is an interesting one for some of you, and this would be a good thing for you, some of you to understand and know. For us, we also wear in the marketplace, in the marketplace, right? Um, the Ledge Community Coffee House that we have downtown isn't just an attempt by us as a church to be funky and cool right? and to show, say, hey, look, we can, we, can, we can pull really good lattes and we can do this and we can do that. No, it's actually to make Jesus known in the marketplace. But there's also when we've envisioned when God put it on my heart that when we planted this church here to, that we were going to reach this marketplace and reach this community is we were going to do something to help model something for you as Christians. We were going to show you as Christians or try to anyway model for you as Christians how to be the church in your work. That's part of the reason why we're doing that. And some of you get that. Some of you go down there and we're, we're happy to share our faith with others who are there. And lastly, as you see on the screen, to the end of the earth. We, uh, we have been in the past, and we, we hope to in the future with uh, uh, our giving coming back to where it, it, it hopefully should be, is we've been giving to MB Mission that goes to the ends of the earth and, and uh, helps people all around the world, in Turkey and in China and in South Africa, different places. And we've also been giving money to C2C, our church planning network in Canada. So that's where the church is. That's where we are as a church. And I think it's pretty exciting. Let me just conclude by saying this to you. Um, I, I hope that everyone who attends The Rock and who hear, is here today, even maybe even checking us out, that you'll hear this. We want to be this kind of church. We want to be this kind of church for you and for me because this is how we grow and fall deeper in love with Jesus Christ. But we want to be this kind of church for this community. We want to see fruit. We want to see people uh, be saved and come out of this. So let me ask you this. Let me ask you over the next few weeks to pray about being the church. You personally being the church, faithfully to those three things that we called you to, and especially this. Listen, anybody can come to church and sit in a back row and do nothing. Anybody can do that. Please don't anyone take this the wrong way. But that is hardly being the church, is it? You can't be the church just sitting and not serving and not giving. You need to get involved. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> you will fall in love with Jesus doing this. Because that's why people fell in love with him. 
He came to give his all, everything, including his kingdom, to you and to me, people who desperately do not deserve it. Amen? And he did give it to us. It's our role and our responsibility now to go and give everything we've got back to him by giving it to others and sharing it with others alike. This is the church. Believe it. Love it in his name. Pray with me, would you?